Anyway, so two years ago at that fireworks display, I'd gone with my family as we always. This was the year you froze again. That oh no, this is this is gonna mess up the episode. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know what I'd said. Anyway, you said two years ago when you were there with your family. Okay, yeah, we. You froze again. They messed up, and they did the finale you froze like again. wrong. Hang on, do you want to like switch services or <laughs> yes. something? Can we? <laughs> just tell you all my stories and then we can start (laughs) (laughs) hi everybody welcome to this is a terrible place to live i'm john bauer and with me as always is my co-host david damari hello that's me that's my name and we we actually i have notes for things we can talk about and you have stories and so this will be an actually like you know good episode so that's exciting what are you saying about our other episodes john are you saying that they're (laughs) spotty and often (laughs) subpar (laughs) Well, not exactly. Just that they're, um, you know, not planned. That's true. I think we were planning them, like, right at first. Like, we did the list of, like, all of our favorite shows and stuff. And then we really just fell off the deep end. We're like, we talk about things. We're good conversationalists. I, I think we are good conversationalists. It's just that it used to be I'd be like, oh, I want to talk to David about this thing. And then I'd write it down. And then, like, uh-huh. I'd make sure we hit the the topics I thought would be interesting. And you did the same thing. But then eventually... No, I didn't. John, what? I've never written anything down. Oh, well, whatever. I was under the impression that you did. Anyway. I can't write, actually. <laughs> but the, the main thing was that we we would talk and we'd hit the topics we want. And then we'd stop recording and we'd be done. And then... Now it's like we'll talk for like an hour and then we'll stop recording and then we'll talk for like another two hours. Yeah, it's a good system. We <laughs> and often it's afterwards we're still talking. We're like, oh, it would have been good if we'd had if we'd had that in there. <laughs> it's good though because it, it keeps our our friendship from being only podcast, which is nice. Who needs that, John? <laughs> <laughs> this is strictly a business relationship. It's all about the content. Exactly. We have to uh, supply what our adoring fans need. All five of them. (laughs) Are we at five? It's like Bobby, Miriam, Daniel now. We got Daniel. Yeah, we got Daniel. Um, Zion sometimes. Our our estimated audience is nine, according to Anchor. So nine, nine. I have no idea who those other people are. We're, we've almost filled up two hands. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Soon yeah. we'll be in double digits. Our most played <laughs> episode is the first one, and it has twenty nine plays. Whoa, which is crazy. <laughs> And two of those are probably us. Oh, yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) How does it do plays? Does it count it? Um, 
more than once if the same person listens to it multiple times? I actually don't know how it counts, like, plays. I, I have not figured that out. Huh. Because if so, we just got to put it on loop until people start want to uh, wanting to pay us for sponsorships and stuff. They'll be like, man, 50 people listen to this. We should pay them. <laughs> but it's actually just me over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Our last, our most recent episode has seven plays, four of which came from Apple Podcasts. Which really makes me wonder what our other two listeners were doing. Seems like they were falling down on the job. (laughs) 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 But you seven, y'all are my favorites. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who you are. If you listen to the last episode, you're good. The other two, though, we we can get rid of them. I'm getting a lot of noise from my computer fan, so hopefully that comes out in post. Oops. I can't hear it, so. Well, that's good. Something that we specifically saved for this is a a throwback from the Fourth of July. Was it? It was two years ago, I think. A story that I was going to tell you, and then you said no, save it. That's right. And yeah. that, so now that's probably where we should start this yeah, episode. Yeah, it's the first thing on my, my notes. I took notes, and that's the first thing. The interesting thing, though, the way that came up is we were talking about how there's, like, no fireworks this year for the 4th of July. There were actually a lot, though. I heard them all night long. I didn't see a single firework, but I also did not try to go see a single firework. So Yeah, I didn't get out of my house at all that night. Um but I was trying to go to sleep, and I'm sleeping on the couch now. So I'm, like, downstairs in the living room, basically, and people all throughout my neighborhood were just lighting firecrackers till way past midnight. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, it's not New Year's. Yeah, That's when weird. you do them late at night. It's weird. Uh, you know, L.A. had, the day after, it had so much smoke from fireworks that it's it like skyrocketed to worse air pollution than Beijing. Like really, really well, isn't bad air everyone's pollution. Everyone's air pollution better right now? Than usual? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. But like LA doesn't allow fireworks. So normally on a normal year, just a few people like set off fireworks. But like this year, so many people set off fireworks that there was a visible cloud of smoke the next day. Huh. It seems strange. It seems like there would be far less, you know? I guess everyone's just so tired of being stuck inside that they went out and bought fireworks. I don't know. Or maybe they ordered them online. It's not hard to order them online. Or maybe everyone's just been stuck inside their house and they've been contemplating it and they're like, you know what? I'm super patriotic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> seems like a weird time to decide to be patriotic yeah they had an epiphany during quarantine they were like you know what America <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but when we were talking about it we realized we've gone to the same like firework display for several years and never seen each other at it I was specifically hiding from you I'd see you there and then I'd run. I'd say, "I've got. I've gone." You to can't that. know that I watch fireworks. I've gone to that fireworks display every year since I was four, and I think I've missed three times because I was working one year, and then I I just didn't go. 
a couple years. I don't remember when specifically, but yeah. I think I've gone the past um, three or four years. I think I went last year. Yeah, I did go last year. It was like the day before I left to go to Indiana. Huh. Yeah, I don't... Oh, that's weird. We've been doing this show for over a year, like a year and a half now. Yeah, yes, we have. You'd think we'd have more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting there now. We're doing more consistently now, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, you were going to tell us about a, a story from a couple years ago. Don't. I haven't oh. forgotten. You you froze. You said don't. Oh, I I was saying hold your horses. Oh, okay. I'd, I hadn't forgotten. <laughs> we switched over. I'm going to keep all the beginning stuff, but um, we switched devices and services because it was freezing on us. Yeah. We thought, for your sake, it's best if I don't stop talking unexpectedly every few seconds. Yeah, preferably Although, not. It might be a good thing. You, then you don't have to hear my voice. You're like, oh, thank God he's done talking. But it's actually just a hiccup with the, the technology. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, we'd go on a couple of years back to these fireworks. And I think it was the year that they'd mess up the finale where a whole bunch had gone off and then they stopped for a while. And then everyone started leaving, going back to their cars, and then a ton more went off. Yeah, I was there that year. Yeah. <laughs> it was really strange because it was like 10 minutes later. They're all just going out. Um, so anyway, that year, we, were, we get back to our car. We're driving home, and we're stopped at a red light. We start going. Wait, no, no, no. We stop, and then immediately a car plows into the back of us. They rear end us. And we're like, okay, that's pretty lame. Hate being rear-ended. Um, uh, getting out of that parking lot is always a nightmare because the, it's the city fireworks, but like people go to that display from like all of the surrounding cities because it's a yeah. fantastic like, it's event. It's really good. They've got like a petting zoo and like a rock climbing wall and free snow cones. It's crazy. See, we never go to any of that stuff. We just sit on the street and we watch the fireworks. Oh, that's why I never see you on the street? Yeah, you know, like uh, kind of near where the medical center is. Um, okay. Uh, like by that sidewalk there. Okay, no, my family, <laughs> since I was four, we have been there early enough to claim a seat on the very first hill closest to the display. Oh, oh wow! Okay, I didn't realize how seriously y'all took this. We go, we just go for the fireworks. We don't care about the other stuff. No, yeah, we get there at like when it opens at like four or five. I didn't realize it opened that early. Yeah. No, we we park at like the skating rink and we. <laughs> oh, holy crap! That is far. Okay, no, yeah, we always park at. Um, it's called. Oh, I won't say what it's called because that talks. Exactly. Area. I didn't say the name of the skating rink. We <laughs> park. We park at an imaging center. It's like a, um, a photo, a photo printer. It's like right next door. Well, anyway, we were leaving, but we'd gotten back onto the main road because we were like near. Um since the skating rink is pretty far away. Um, but 
so we get rear-ended and then we're like, all right, we'll just pull into this parking lot here. We'll get their information. No problem. No one's hurt. We're fine. We turn into the parking lot. They signal that they're going to turn in, but then they just take off. They start running. And my dad, like, gets mad. He starts, he gets out of the car and he starts chasing after them on foot, trying to take a video of their license plate. Um, <laughs> and then they do an illegal turn into a, another parking lot. They floor it across this parking lot. Uh, and then they're they're just gone. And like tons of people saw it. Like one car comes over to us and they're like, hey, if you need like a witness, I definitely saw what just happened. And that was insane. <laughs> That's insane considering I don't I don't know how to explain how much traffic there is leaving this event. It is always I know. Full. It was impressive, honestly. I can't imagine uh, escaping a wreck on that night ever. So we call the police, they come. And they're like, um, yeah, sorry. If you didn't get their information, it's going to be very difficult to find them. Um, but thanks for filing it. We'll do the best we can. So we drive home. And then when we get back home, my dad realizes that he's forgotten. He's lost his key fob somewhere. So since it's one that's just like a motion sensor, my mom had her purse with her and she has a fob in that. So he realized that his has fallen out of his pocket though. Okay. So y'all drove home using the key that was in your mom's purse. But we didn't realize that right, at the time yeah. since it's... So then he's like, it must have fallen out when I was running. So they go back to the scene of the crime and they're looking for his keys, which they find later in the car. They, they, they'd fallen out in the car. But what they see is in the middle of the street, there's a license plate. It fell off the car when they rear-ended us. <laughs> Their license... <laughs> they rear-ended us, ran away, and left their license plate. <laughs> and the best part about it is it had like the frame on it too. And the frame has like rhinestones and some of the rhinestones were in the back of our car. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so they call, they call the police, they bring them the license plate and they're like, here, does this help with the investigation? <laughs> uh, so eventually they find out who rear-ended us and they completely deny it. They're like, no, we didn't do anything like that. And the police are like, yeah, we know that you got a new license plate today. <laughs> but for, so basically the way it ended up was we couldn't get any money out of them from their insurance unless they admitted that they'd done it. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, uh, it's always like that. So the police gave them like a, a fine for it because they had like substantial evidence. Um, but they weren't, we weren't able to get our car fixed because of like, they weren't paying us insurance money. So then we had to get like my great uncle, who's a lawyer to send them a cease and desist letter, like not a cease and desist letter, but just a letter threatening legal action. Like, Hey, give us your money. 
And then instead of doing uh, the insurance, they like wrote us a check because apparently this person's like super rich. They own like a polymer company. We looked them up on Facebook once we found out who it was. <laughs> That's and, such a Houston thing. Like someone who owns a polymer company <laughs> refusing to pay for a, a small fender bender. I know. It, it was really weird. At one point, this was before we'd gotten the lawyer. My mom had gone to their house, which is really weird. I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. But the police gave us that information. They're like, here, you can go talk to them if you'd like. Um, My mom did. And apparently it was like their daughter who was like kind of a bum and like was using their car. She just like lives with them. So it was a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Last year, I I knocked someone's mirror off late at night in a in a neighborhood, and I knocked on their door. I was gonna like try and be like, "Hey, I hit your car," um, but they didn't answer. So I left my number on a sticky note, and then ended up just paying them like through Venmo for the repairs. But like that shit is expensive, man. <laughs> it is the. The plus side to the whole incident was previously the tailgate on our Prius, it didn't have a backup camera. Now it has one because we got a new one when we, uh, when we fixed it. And it's like, I thought, it was still like I, thought your, I thought your tailgate was still weird on that car. No, no, it's been fixed because they paid us. Oh, we, okay. we got the money from the lawyer, huh. my great uncle. Yeah. The reason that we have lots of lawyers in my family, but the reason that we did my great uncle specifically is because he has a different last name than us. So we're like, it doesn't it look seems suspicious. More professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man. Yeah. I don't have any lawyers in my family. Hmm. I, I think it's one. just a Louisiana thing. There, there are tons of lawyers in Louisiana. Um, because, there are lots of good law schools there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to... I, yeah, I don't... I don't know. A bunch of my relatives run, like... Either, like... One of them runs a mission. Like a like a charity... Charitable organization that helps homeless people. And the other one... Is a missionary. I don't know what they're doing with their lives. <laughs> Well, this particular guy, this wasn't his field of law either. He's like a, he facilitates like trade deals and stuff and like Charles. That's what he does. But <laughs> it yeah. looked official though and it got them to, to pay us. So that's what matters. Yeah. It's usually just having a scary letter that works. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen any uh, good, oh wait, hang on. You started watching the boys. Did you not? I did not. I meant to, and then I, I, I was really tired and fell asleep. I'm disappointed in you, John. I actually I feel like. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I actually was gonna watch it last night, and then I was like, "Okay, oh, I should do that." And I looked at the clock, and it was one a.m. And I was like, "Oh, I, I should have <laughs> done that like an hour ago." You can stay up till two. I stay up till <laughs> two. But. They're like 50-minute episodes. Okay. I, I promise I'll watch one today. I'll watch okay. one today. 
look forward to what we have to say on it on the next episode. <laughs> Tune in next week or next month, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, if we tried to make this weekly, oh, I don't know if we could do that. <laughs> we'll see. I'd say we probably could because I'm not doing anything. You're the one who has a job and stuff. I mean, we probably and most of the work is on you. We probably could if you know you consistently had a room to record in. That's true. I I didn't explain that to the audience. Basically, actually, I feel like all of them already know because they're just friends of mine, <laughs> and I've been talking to them about is about being sick. Um, so basically, yeah, I've been kicked out of my room and I'm sleeping on a couch because sick people are in my room because we're trying to keep them quarantined because we don't know what they have. Although Isabel tested negative for coronavirus, but the nurse said, we still think it's coronavirus, even though she tested negative for it because there are apparently like lots of false negatives that can happen. Yeah. It's and not she a, has all the symptoms. It's not a so. very, it's, it's not a very uh, accurate test as from what I've heard. So, yeah, my my sister is considering getting tested because she doesn't know if she has it or not. So, the one who lives with you, yes, or? the one who lives with me. Okay, that doesn't really affect me though. I don't really go anywhere. So, yeah, if I well, get you, it, you're at work changes. now, aren't you? Um, I we only go in for certain meetings, and if I if I need to quarantine, I can just tell them I can't come in. That's fair because all of your stuff is basically digital. Yeah, well, they bought me a fifty dollar camera so that i can video conference with them so that's nice of them yeah i watched a three-hour movie last night because i was bored and (laughs) then the wi-fi like my laptop wasn't connecting to the wi-fi here so then i was like well i have this one downloaded on my computer um and it's supposedly really good so I watched A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick. Oh, okay. I haven't haven't seen it, but yeah. That was a really good movie. I'd say it's probably the best um, Christian movie I've ever seen because that's not like necessarily the point of it. Um, See, it's I just saw... an element in it. I saw the trailers for it and thought it looked really bad, but... Oh, really? Oh, no, it was great. Um, The cinematography was unlike any other movie I've ever seen. It... They filmed it with a super wide-angle lens. Um, It looked like it was a fisheye lens to watch it. Um, So it gave, like, this really, like, trippy... um, feel to it and lots of it's done up in the mountains and uh in austria so you'd get like these huge expansive shots of the landscape and just these beautiful like grassy hills um in nestled in the mountains um so that was really cool um they did like lots of close-up low angles because it's a, a lot of it's about the the internal struggle that the main character is having of whether or not he should save his life so that he can be there for his family or like hold, uh, hold his morals and, you know, refuse to sweat, uh, to pledge an oath to Hitler. Right. So, yeah. 
it was really well done. I don't think it needed to be three hours, but I enjoyed it the whole way. So I forgave it for being so long. <laughs> the main actor was also really good. And the only other thing I've seen him in was Inglorious Bastards. I think he's probably pretty big in Germany. Yeah, I'm trying to find what it was shot on. Did you go to IMDb specs? I did, yeah, but I don't I don't see it on here. Sometimes they sometimes they hide that under pro. Oh, yeah, I, I, I feel def- like I feel like I remember seeing stuff about that and how it was shot and how they were trying to match um some of the the like cameras from the time period but i I don't remember if that's this movie or something else i was there was some historic footage like used not stuff that they'd shot but like stuff from the time that they would intercut oh the editing was also really cool because they do this thing where they'd be in the middle of a conversation and you'd hear the person talking but it would be like cut together with footage where they're not talking. Um, so it'd be like jump cuts um, back and forth in their conversation. So the audio doesn't necessarily match up with the the visuals that you're seeing at the time. Um, it was really cool uh, the way it worked. I don't know how to describe it in a way that makes sense, but um, yeah, they'd also like often when um someone's in one part of the room they'll just do like a really fast cut the person's in a different part of the room so it i'd never seen a terrence malick movie before but having watched it i like listened to some reviews for it and people were saying this is the most terrence malick movie there is and i feel like that makes sense because this movie had such a strong directorial voice like there are very specific choices that I don't see in other movies. Yeah. Had a very like clear, um, you could certainly tell that it was someone who knew exactly what they wanted, um, in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, maybe I'll give it a, a chance someday. If you ever have three hours, <laughs> just you <laughs> put it on <laughs> okay yeah okay it was shot on a red really yeah two separate red epics but they used um re master primes which is interesting uh, interesting to mix I, a red camera with an re lens that's very strange you, you you really have to watch it like it's so wide yeah it's just yeah. nuts they used a 12 millimeter and a 16 millimeter for most of the movie. That's crazy. I don't shoot anything in 12 millimeter. Speaking of remarkable cinematography, we watched a movie together. Oh yeah, we did. We, we and go we, ahead. We actually, I was going to say we watched, um, the last blast black man in San Francisco. And then separately you watched, um, my favorite movie, Manchester by the sea. Uh huh. And I was, I rewatched it because I wanted to talk about it. And I was kind of like looking at the similarities between those movies. And I feel like they're actually somewhat similar. Okay. 
In what ways? I don't see exactly what you mean. I just feel like in tone, tonally, um, and in in like um, the way that they portray humans and like dialogue. Like obviously, they're the dialogue. They're very different in like actual like plot. They're very very different in plot. Um, but I feel like tonally, and um, just the way that they portray humans is very similar and kind of the same, um, uh, like philosophy on life. You know, I think that they're not necessarily particularly close in tone. It's more that they have such a defined tone that it sticks out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Did you want to talk specifically about one of the films? Well, we can talk about both of them, I guess. Okay. Well, we just need to give a spoiler warning before we. Yeah. Well, I don't feel like there's a whole lot to spoil in the last black man of San Francisco, except like maybe the end. That's true. I mean, there's not like a lot of surprises in that movie. There are like only two that I can think of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's two things that maybe could be shocking. How does that shocking? Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, there's nothing in the, there's nothing that's shocking. But I mean like they might catch you off guard. Yeah. Um I don't think it ruins the experience knowing them though. So I mean if you if you care about it, don't listen until you've seen it. But like definitely watch feel, it either way. Yeah, I feel like it's a very easily accessible movie too. I feel like it's just very enjoyable to watch because it's just so well put together. I feel like even someone who's not really into movies could watch it and be like, that was really beautiful to like see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like all of the like sweeping shots of San Francisco, like I heard someone talking about it saying that this movie does to San Francisco, what so many other movies do to New York and Paris where they romanticize the idea of even being there. Yeah. I I would say that's fair cuz it that that one shot we get a couple times of him skateboarding down uh like the main street is is very reminiscent of shots you see in films uh where like you see like traffic in New York and like um the you know uh Central Park and whatnot, yeah. Mhm. And especially just because you can tell how much the main character like cares about the city and specifically the house. Yeah. I think, I think the whole movie feels kind of like a, a love letter to a city. And I think that's kind of the point, you know? And I mean, there is that one scene um, near the end where there's the, the two like tech startup ladies talking on the bus about how much they hate San Francisco and he's like, but do you love it though? And I'm like, what? And he's like, but you don't get to hate the city unless you love the city. And I feel like that is kind of the point of the movie is that it's a love letter to a city that he hates. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Also the way the movie starts is so good. That first scene where it's the guy standing, standing on the, on soap the box, box. Yeah. And he's just saying all this stuff and it continues as it's showing the city so like he's talking about all the issues that it has as it's like making it look really appealing, which I think is really cool. The, the way that they cut it together. 
Although it's very odd to me. That scene has like people walking around in hazmat suits. And I don't, <laughs> was, under, I don't understand why. Why are they in hazmat suits? They were trying to clean up toxic waste in the bay. Okay, I guess. <laughs> and he was like, we've been telling y'all this has been polluted for years and y'all don't care, but they're trying to gentrify the neighborhood. So they're cleaning up the toxic waste finally. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. I was just, I was just sitting there going, why are they wearing hazmat suits? Yeah. That was a weird way to start it. I was like, this is going to be a different movie than I thought it was. (laughs) And it wasn't, it was just the very beginning was. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautifully shot and beautifully colored. Like, I really wanted um, to screen cap um, some of the shots where they're going through the attic um, with all his old stuff. Yeah. Um, because that's so beautifully lit. Um, unfortunately, Prime doesn't let you screenshot, so they just turned out black. But Ah, uh, bummer. But they were really pretty shots, and I was like, wow, I need these for reference. It's one of those movies where I feel like you can just take any frame from it, and it'll just be like, that could be the promotional material right there. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's a a lot of, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a really weird movie on a lot of levels, but also it, it just, it connects on a very human level, even though it's kind of uncomfortable at times and weird. It, It definitely bridges the gap between maybe the the oddness of what's happening on screen and the actual like human emotion of what the characters are feeling all of the things that happen are very like grounded but for some reason the entire movie feels really whimsical you know what i mean yeah yeah everything that happens is is <laughs> something that could happen in real life and it wouldn't be all that weird for the most part i feel like there were a few things that might have there been was some out there, there were but... some homeless people but I feel like that's just San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know San Francisco, but I feel like that's probably not too far out there. But like, you know, it's just something about it makes it feel very fantastical, um, and maybe that's the way it's shot. I don't know exactly what entirely it is that does that. See, having watched this movie and then watched um, a Hidden Life. Two movies with very distinct styles visually. Um, I was trying to figure out what exactly set the two of them apart. Um, And I'd say that um, The Last Black Man in San Francisco has a much more like warm color palette that they use really, really well. Um, And see, because I was noticing the similarities, they're both shot very low lots of low shots um which is a style that i'm going to like a lot <laughs> like it's so cool um but in terrence malick's they were a lot more like close up and um also like very clearly handheld um which is an interesting choice and i think it is because it's about such a personal journey Although The Last Black Man in San Francisco is too, but it's more about the city. So it is a very personal experience about like how much he cares about this house, but it's showing more like what he cares about than what's happening inside. Um, 
like everything inside the house. The scene when they make it into the house for the first time is so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where they're just screaming and running around and just having the best time. And then he he uh, he's bleeding in his mouth and he's just got this huge smile on his face because he trips. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good a good scene because it, it does definitely show that it's more about the the idea of what the house represents to him than the house itself you know it's it's the joy he feels from experiencing that place yeah <laughs> also all of the scenes with the people that actually live there <laughs> <laughs> they're just like what are you doing like why are you here <laughs> for okay so i guess we should probably explain like what it's generally about um but basically there's uh a man who he lives on like the outskirts of san francisco and um basically the point is that all of the people who have lived in like closer into San Francisco, they've pushed all the the black people out to like the fringe neighborhoods on like the outskirts of the city. Um, and they've gentrified the neighborhoods where the black people used to live and sold all the, the houses that they lived in to like middle-class white people. Um, although actually that house was very expensive. It's not middle-class. No, no <laughs> not middle-class at all. Um, I think they said it was but, 4 million which is yeah. insane. I feel like that's a steal for that house. That was a good house. It was a nice house. <laughs> um, but the main character, he used to live in one of the houses back when he was a kid. So he, like every day, it seems like skateboards back into the city and he just maintains this house, even though he doesn't live there. There are other people that do live there. Like the first scene that you see of him there is he's painting the the tram along the windows and they get back home from the store and they're like why are you doing this like leave and he's like all right i'll come back tomorrow <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's interesting um because it, it's like he doesn't own this house the people who live in this house don't know who he is and yet he's taking care of it in in like taking care of it better than they are where he's coming and repainting it and like fixing their garden and like weeding the garden. And and then they get back and they're like, why are you here? Just leave our house alone, please. <laughs> but throughout, he says that it's the house that his grandfather built. And it's where he lived when he was a kid. And he wants like nothing more than to be back in this house. Um, truly his main motivation throughout the movie <laughs> is getting that house. Um, which I feel like is very interesting because there are not a lot of movies where they're just like, I really want this house. <laughs> it's a very interesting and specific character motivation. Yeah. Well, and also as a character, he's unhealthily obsessed with the house. Um, it's the only thing he cares about in life. And, and I, I think the, the, the character himself is kind of um, his personality is, is one where he kind of picks an obsession and then stays on it. And so the only thing he cares about is 
getting back to that house and getting that house back into his family. Yeah. And, and so it, it becomes the point of the movie at first. You think it's the point of the movie and I wouldn't say it's the point of the movie. I think it's the point of the character and the character is the point of the movie. And I don't think we should get into the actual point of the movie because I feel like that's part of the experience of watching it. Is, seeing... is learning what the movie's about as it goes along. Yeah. Yeah. Although I guess we did tell them it's not actually about the house, which it seems like for a lot of the movie. I don't think that, I mean, it, even if you know, it's not about the house, you don't know what it's about until you get through it. Yeah. I think, and it did a perfect job, I'd say of walking the line that we talk about a lot between the Adam, I mean, uh, the Ben Stiller moment and like having a clear message. Yeah, you know, I would agree. Yeah. It it doesn't really have it does kind of have a Ben Stiller moment, but it's it's I guess not having a message would be the other end. But it, it's it's much um <laughs> it, it fits. It feels right. <laughs> it's not like a 30 second segment where they're like, "All right, and now we're going to tell you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like writing an essay about a Ben Stiller movie would be super easy because he tells you exactly <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what's going on here. I mean, Ben Stiller movies basically are essays. <laughs> I like Ben Stiller enough, but he has a problem. Yeah, no, I, I like his movies. I just, they're so in your face. Why is it that all of his movies have that? I don't know. Has Ben Stiller written anything? I feel like, yeah, I feel like Noah Baumbach wrote um, while we're young. I have no idea, but it's every movie he's in. And on a, he, on, like... a, on a lesser level, just every movie, I was talking about it with my sister and I was like, the Christian movie problem is that every Christian movie has a, a Ben Stiller moment that's worse than Ben Stiller. Okay. See, that can go back to... Um, a hidden life because I feel like that movie kind of has okay it's not necessarily a moment it's more the movie itself because it's very clearly the point is is it better to hold fast so like strongly to these morals that you care about so much and you can't like go on and do more good in your life because they're going to execute you for not compromising. Or is it better to compromise and then you can go on and do more good? Um, Are we talking about while you're young here? No, this is uh, a hidden life. Oh, a hidden life. Gotcha. And throughout it, they're saying like, you realize making, making this statement and like having this defiance to the regime in Nazi Germany it's not going to do anything. No one will ever know who you are. It's just like something that you've decided you, you won't compromise. You're going to die. Your kids are going to grow up without a father. Your wife's going to be left heartbroken and you'll have just died for no reason. But he's decided that he can't compromise like what he believes because then he'll, he won't be like a full person. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, it ended with a, a really good quote where it was, it was the title of the movie in the quote. Um, I, this isn't a spoiler either. I feel like, I feel like there's not a lot of spoils spoilers for this movie because the synopsis of it that you read before watching it is a man who refuses to pledge allegiance to Hitler faces execution. And that's exactly what happens. So you, you know what happens before you watch it. Um, but there was a quote at the end where it says so much of like the, so much of so much responsible. Hang on. I'm going to, I don't want to mess up this quote because it's a really good quote. Hang on. I'll look it up. It's probably Um, on the IMDb if it's like the main quote of the movie. Um, hidden life quote. Um, um, okay. The quote is the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who have lived faithfully a hidden life and the rest and rest in unvisited tombs. So basically just that like it's these ordinary acts of like decency that make the world better rather than like these huge heroic moments that people will know about. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a more elaborate and better way of saying it's not what you do when other people are are watching. It's what you do when you're by yourself that shows who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's like what makes it such a good movie is that it's not about like having a big moment where it's like, and this is why the movie, I mean, okay. I feel like all the other like Christian movies, like God's not dead and stuff. There's like an epiphany moment where they're like, this is why I should be in love with God. Um, Whereas this movie is more about a person who he has that deep conviction within him and it's what drives him. It's not about him getting to that point. And it's not about him even necessarily saying that other people should be that way. It's that's how he is. And that's how he decides to live. Yeah. Yeah. And also it helps that it's an actual like true story. I feel like that's a pitfall for a lot of Christian movies. They're like, this is just something we made up. And it's like, what's the point then? They're like, look how great God is. And like, God didn't do that. You wrote that. Like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> there's a, there's something I was talking at length with multiple. I talk about Christian movies all the time because everyone who ever hears that I want to make films that comes from like my, my Christian background is like, Oh, cool. Like, um, you know, we need more Christian filmmakers. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not going there. Uh, that's not, that's not how this is going. And I was talking with, with, uh, my sister, Anna, who, you know, I live with, and we were talking about the Coen brother movies because she finds their like outlook on life, like really distracting in their movies and like really in your face. And she doesn't, she thinks that it's depressing. Um, and, and I really like the way that they do it, but we were discussing about like how you 
imbue your movies with your point of view. And I was like, more more people in the Christian like uh, film world should do movies in the way that the Coen brothers do, where the underlying message of your movie shows your morals, but it does not explicitly make everything you talk about about your morals. Um, yeah, I feel like another thing that does that really well is <laughs> people are trying to walk into the room where I am, but the door is locked. So then it's been distracting for, for our listeners. You probably didn't even hear that, but John just saw me look away twice. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I heard the door very quietly in the background. Um, I feel like another good example of doing that is um, Arrival by Denis Villeneuve. I never got around to watching it. It's been on my list for forever. I was going to go see it in theaters. I never did. Um, ah, but, John. I, I mean, I'm trying to go through all of uh, Denis Villeneuve's um, work, so eventually I'll get around to it. I watched um, his short film the other day, uh, Next Floor. I saw that you'd seen oh, it I well. love Next Floor. So cool. That was yeah. That was like a just such a cool just visualization of like gluttony. It's just like it was, it's very clear what it's doing, but it does it so well that it's like this is so me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it, it on a on a deeper level, it's also just about like um, the the upper class and and capitalism in general, which is an interesting you know topic. I like yeah. it. It's very cool. It's a very cool short film. I've been watching a lot of those recently. I watched um, uh, a David Lowry short film um, that I hadn't seen called Pioneer. It's on Vimeo. I have to go watch it. it it's really good. It's just like a 15-minute um, monologue, basically, um, where it's a father telling his son a bedtime story. And... It's very strange because it's the story is presented as something that actually happened. Yeah. But then as you're listening to it, you're like, there's no way this could have happened. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's something that David Lowry does a lot. I've noticed as I've obsessed over him. <laughs> is his two like big themes that he almost always deals with are time and death, which I feel like is true for a lot of them, but he does it really well. Um, so like in The Old Man and the Gun, it's about like getting to a point where time's running out for you and you're nearing death and how to approach that gracefully, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, a ghost story, it's pretty obvious how it deals with death. <laughs> um, I'd also say distance is a common theme. Yeah. Not not in The Old Man and the Gun, but in his other works. Um, but this one deals especially with why his character feels a purpose in being alive. Um, 
yeah, definitely watch it. I also watched his debut movie on Fandor, which I got a trial of it specifically to watch this movie. And <laughs> there was nothing else on that. Um, huh. But it was this movie called St. Nick about two runaway children. Um, that movie was very different from his other stuff, but it was really good. It was like the most like indie of all his movies, which makes sense. It's his debut, but like, I don't know. I, it took a while to get into it because the two main characters are children. Mm-hmm. Actually, we won't talk about this because you haven't seen this movie. No, I've not. I mean, if y'all are interested, you can go watch St. Nick. It's actually, I feel like it would be, <laughs> it's not super easily accessible like a lot of other movies, but I enjoy it. Um, but we'll talk about Manchester by the Sea since we've both seen that and we promised that we would earlier. So, <laughs> well, I just, I, you're the first person I've talked to about it that actually liked it. I don't know how that's possible. It was such a well-received movie. And because it, it's, it's everyone I've spoken to about it is like, yeah, that's a great, I absolutely really well-made movie. love it. It's my favorite movie like ever. And I've seen it probably four times. And, and I, every time I don't know what to watch. I'm just like, I should probably watch Manchester by the sea again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like it, it introduced me to, um, that, that main actor that plays the kid. Um, I was about to say him too. I forget his name. He doesn't, I always recognize him, but I always forget his name. And he's in so many movies and I absolutely love him. He's a fantastic actor. Um, also he's in so many good movies, just like, if he's in, Hedges. I'm like, yeah. Like he's in mid nineties. He's in this, he's in honey boy. Yeah, he's in honey boy. He's in, He's in uh, something else too. He's in three billboards. He's in Lady Bird. Yeah, Lady Bird was one I was going to say. Um, he's the main person for both Ben is Back and Boy Erased. It's honestly like impressive that he's like that his career is doing so well. Like, because he he wasn't in very many things at all, and then he was in all of these things like right at once. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I, I like just, him a lot. I love him. I think he's an, a fantastic actor. I want him to get some more like leading roles too, um, like he, like Honey Boy. Yeah, yeah. I think he he definitely deserves a lot more. But also, I, I like... think I think one of the reasons he's so good is he he picks his movies based on whether or not they fit him. So yeah. like he, I think he really does like pick his movies so that he's only in good stuff. Cause he's in only like, you know, a small number of movies, but every movie he's in is fantastic. Although I haven't seen like Ben is back or boy erased either of those. I haven't seen them, but they're on my list. Um, and they got really good critical reviews. I don't know about Ben is back, but boy erased did. I remember seeing the trailer for Ben is back and thinking that it looked a lot like a trailer for another movie that came out at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think we were in the theater together. Yeah. And they played two trailers back to back. I was like, that looked like the same movie. <laughs> I, I feel like it was Boy Erased and Ben is Back because I think they came out the same year and they both star him. And they don't look similar, though. There was something else where it was like a mother dealing with her son's problems. I don't remember. Whatever the other one was wasn't important, I guess. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was exceptional in this movie. Like, everything about it was just so well done. I, I absolutely love the dialogue in this film. It is written, everyone is so human. Like, <laughs> the, it's scene, just... the scenes where he's working as a, a custodian are so good, where he's like dealing with like these people who really don't care about him or his problems and they're just really obnoxious to him yeah yeah <laughs> and and his um his boss is is just a, a scumbag <laughs> uh, that's great i, I, I also this movie is is weird in that it is like you were saying that your your dad told you that it's like a it's you said it was like void of hope or whatever. Yeah, he said it was devoid of any joy. Yeah, it's. I I like to describe he said it. Was it. Good, though. I like to describe it as being thrown off of a cliff into an ocean of despair. That's how I tell people this movie feels. And I really like that, but I also think this movie is extremely comedic. Like, there's a lot of moments that oh, it's very it's funny, so funny, and and you know, as someone who's gone through like. Uh, being with extended family that I don't know very well during like grieving a loved one, it feels so real, you know? And I feel like that's an inherently like darkly comedic situation. Yeah. Just like the idea of someone's died. So then we all need to get together and hang out is really strange. Like (laughs) it's like, Typically, like personally, I'd want to like be alone and just like process my emotions. But instead, you're like forced into this situation where you're having to like put on like a performance of grief for all these people around you that you don't necessarily know that well. Well, I think one of my favorite scenes is like he's sitting in the living room the night, like the day of, with like three of his friends, his girlfriend and his two friends, and they're talking. And I really love that scene because like when when in middle school when my best friend's grandmother passed away and he was like really close to her. We like went over to his house and he didn't want to feel sad. He wanted to talk and, and have fun like normal. And I think that yeah. seems really good. Cause she's like, they're arguing about star Trek and she's like, his dad just passed and you're talking about star Trek. <laughs> There's a silence for like three seconds. He goes, I like star Trek. It's, like, <laughs> it's fantastic. And it's really clear too that his friends like know that they're serving as a distraction, except that that girl. Like she's completely missed what's going on. And it's really funny to me because she's like awkwardly trying to make the sorrow sexy. It's it's really, <laughs> it's, really weird. it's really weird and awkward. And I I think it perfectly captures like the 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 weirdness that goes on around people when they're grieving. Yeah. When when my best friend's mom passed away, there was a lot of that where they would joke about it and make fun and like use comedy to cope. And then there would be people who were weird about it. And 
we were all just kind of like, yo, just don't be weird about it. Like, There's a great Daniel Sloss bit that I'm going to butcher, but I need to like mention it because it's what comes up. He talks about how his, uh, his best friend had lost her dad and the way him and all of his friends deal with grief is they, they make it into comedy and they laugh about it. So he said, all right, I'm going to come over. We're going to hang out and I'll just like be there for you. We'll talk it through. And she's like, okay. So he comes over, he orders a Coke and a pizza and (laughs) it comes to his house, uh, or her house, wherever they are. And (laughs) she, he takes the pizza, she takes the Coke and then she slaps him and says, you asshole. And he's like, what? And the Coke says, share a Coke with dad. (laughs) (laughs) And she thought that he was orchestrating some joke that he'd specifically asked for it. (laughs) And he was like, what do you think I did? That like I called up the pizza company. I was like, hey, do you have anything with dad on it? (laughs) He was like, you know what? Just take the pepperonis and have them spell out. You have no fun. (laughs) Nice. That's great. (sighs) You still need to watch his specials. Yeah, they're just the best ones. Yeah, I think more than any other comedian, he does like such a good job of talking about things that are actually important to him in a way that's still funny and makes the special better. I feel like some comedians, they'll just like, they'll do joke, joke, joke. And they'll be like, this is something I care about. And that won't have a punchline. Right. Yeah. I guess the idea behind that is that they don't want to like detract from the issue. But Daniel Foss has a way of like making the punchlines support what he's talking about and the points that he's making. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just we got sidetracked from Manchester Privacy. (laughs) Yeah, just just one last thing I was thinking about, like with dialogue specifically, is the scene where they like first go to the hospital, and uh, they pull up, and he's like, "So do you do you want to go in? You don't have to go in." (laughs) And he's like, "Let's just go," and opens the door, and his uncle slams on the gas because he meant let's just go in and his uncle thought he meant let's just leave and it's it's a really good dialogue scene because that is how talking is you know you you say one thing but maybe it means something different to you and then there's mm-hmm. that confusion and then it just it adds to that tension where it's like they're not on the same wavelength you know yeah also just like from the very first scene i was like oh i'm going to love this movie when he's on the boat and he's talking to the kid and he's like, so who would you want to have on a, a desert island? Yeah. Like me or your dad? And he's like, my dad. And he's like, no, no, like, let me explain to you why you want me. Because <laughs> <laughs> it does a great job of like capturing the comedic tone that the movie is going to have throughout. It captures the relationship between the uncle and the his nephew. Yeah. It shows us how much he cares about his dad from the get-go. It it just sets up the entire movie perfectly. I don't yeah, know. It's just yeah. a great way to start it. And also that it's on the boat and that he throughout, he like really cares about this boat 
And you're like, oh, it's because it's a substantial like part of his life from when he was really little. Well, and like, it's he like, has so many good things associated with it, and, and he doesn't want to let go of what he has to, left of his dad. Yeah, it's a connection to his father and like to the good memories of his father. Mm-hmm. And but to to on the on the counter of that side, also for his for his uncle, it's memories of a time before things went wrong, of a time that he can't go back to. Because, you know, mm-hmm. right after that, the scene right after being on the boat is him going back and, like, kissing his daughters and, like, hugging his son. Mm-hmm. And and so for, for his uncle, the boat is connected to memories that he can't, he can't think about without feeling sorrow. Yeah. And to, to his nephew, uh, it, it's connected to memories he wants to keep forever. And so there's there's a deep disconnect between them where where you know Casey Affleck's character wants to never be back there because it makes him have to relive things he doesn't want to see. But yeah. for his nephew, he he doesn't want to leave. That's where his life is. That's where his memories are. That's where everything good is in his life. And so they're 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 both selfishly only looking at it from their point of view not not thinking about the other person's trauma. And I think it like perfectly sums up the way that people um who are from small towns feel about small towns like either everything is here I'll never be anywhere else or I can't be here I want to be really just anywhere but this place and it's very clear to you why they feel that way about it. Well, and yeah, it's very clear that he has a very good reason to not want to be there. And yeah, it's essential to the plot, though, that it takes place in that small town setting because, like, the community of a small town, everyone knows what's happened. And it's very clear that they all treat him differently because of it. Well, and everyone, everyone that sees him, everyone that, like, when he first goes to pick him up from hockey, the coach is like, who's that? And it's like, oh, that's his uncle. And he's like, Lee Chandler, the Lee Chandler, like you know, everybody's like, "Whoa, it's." He's like a sad celebrity. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, he tries to get a job at the boat dock, and the the guy who runs it, his secretary comes out, or maybe it's his wife, I don't know. And it's like, I don't want to see him around here. Like, yeah, there is no future for him in that town, and he can't stay there. But for like his nephew, for Patrick, it's one hundred percent like that is his home, and he. He can't mm-hmm. just drop it. Yeah. Um, last time, did I tell you about Blow the Man Down? Uh, I don't think so. Because it's a very similar setting, but completely different movie. <laughs> Which was really strange. Because I watched them pretty close together. I was like, oh, this is like if a completely different tone, different story happened in the same place so and it looks very similar like the color palette and the 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 scene settings everything it was like this is really kind of jarring watching these two although i guess they're both somewhat centered around uh a death and a funeral and kind of grief um but Lots of people have compared it to a Coen Brothers movie, specifically Fargo. I think the reason that that is is because it involves a death in a small town, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily 
similar to Fargo because that's more told from the perspective of someone who wasn't who didn't murder someone, but he was involved in the murder. Yeah. He knows what happened. Right. And um also from the perspective of the police trying to figure out what happened. But um Blow the Men Down is from the perspective of someone that accidentally killed someone. So they hadn't set out to commit a crime, but in Fargo, they had specifically set out to do something. Um, right, right. Actually, you haven't seen Fargo either. I can't I, necessarily... I know, I know the plot of Fargo. Okay. Well, plot-wise, very different. Um, I guess there are some similarities in tone, but I wouldn't say that it's... Some people say that it leaned too heavy on the Coen Brothers' influence. I don't think it did. I think it was a great directorial debut. I forget the names of the people who directed it. It was two co-directors. Um, it was just a great, really funny comedy um, that involved uh, accidentally killing someone in a fishing town in Maine. There are lots of really good sea shanties. Uh, <laughs> There's lots of like weird plots going on in this small town between old ladies. Um, it's great. <laughs> Everything about it is just really, really good. After yeah, it's, I, I put it on my watch list after you um, reviewed it. I don't have much more to say about it. I just wanted to recommend it to you. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have anything else on your notes? I had a few notes um, that are probably a little bit less like serious and more fun topics. Uh, I was going to, we talked about it kind of in text beforehand, but I was going to bring up like Umbrella Academy season two. Oh yes. I can't wait. Yeah. Klaus is a cult now. Yeah. I'm so excited. <sighs> That's it's the perfect. If you think about it, if Klaus knows when the world's going to end, of course he's going to start a cult. Well, and it, it's one hundred percent perfect because as as his character develops, you know, he goes, he's starting to actually like, you know, unlock his powers a little bit after the conversation with. Um, well, you should probably put a little bit of spoilers for season one. Um, I told Daniel to watch season one. He hasn't seen it yet. I know okay. that. The spoilers for season one. Um, when Klaus talks to um, <laughs> to Reginald Hargreaves um, in heaven, I don't know, in the afterlife, yeah. um, he's just like, you know, you can't keep dampening your power through like drugs and alcohol. And mm -hmm. so like now he's starting to commune more and be able to do more, um, including like, you know, in the, the final showdown, he's able to give Ben physical form mm -hmm. so that he can actually like, you know, help fight. Um, so it, it makes sense for him to go start a cult because a, he's obsessed with sex <laughs> B he's like super charismatic and C he can talk to dead people. So like he has so That's much all power. You need. It's all you need. And now he's in the past and knows when the world's going to end. So like, yeah, he can just like predict the future and they'll be like, Whoa, this guy, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like Connecticut Yankee in a King Arthur and King Arthur's court. If the Connecticut Yankee decided to start a cult. Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be a. I want to see that adapted into like a good movie because that's a fun story. <laughs> I don't think I've read that, but I know what you it know is. the story. Though, I know right? the story. Yeah. Just the idea of like this guy is like back in medieval times, and he's like, "I've got a pipe," and they're like, "He's a dragon." <laughs> Wait, it, I think that happened. Yeah. But they should have had pipes in medieval times. That doesn't make sense, actually. Yeah, he yeah. was wearing like a helmet and like smoke was coming out of it. And they're like, he's the dragon knight. Um, weird. That doesn't. Yeah, I don't Mark know. Mark Twain has a plot hole. <laughs> I think that's Mark Twain's best book, in my opinion. I haven't read any Mark Twain. I tried to read one of them. I don't remember. Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn or something. I don't know. No, this one was like actually like really fun. I feel like those ones are just like him dealing with his uh, arrested development where he's like, I want to be a child. <laughs> but this one's like um, uh, just like an actually like really interesting adventure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should. I need to make that movie someday. I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I watched like five minutes of, no, probably like 15 minutes of the first episode of Stargirl. Ooh. And we talked about that a little bit, but like, yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> it was so bad. And I, I'm I didn't so expect mad. anything else. I didn't either, but I actually was a little bit shocked. It does one thing really well. And I, I mentioned this to you in, in messaging, uh, but like it, it really does understand that the only way you can make the dc universe work is if you assume the existence of the entire universe before you start and that's the problem arrow had arrow was only one dc character in the universe Mm -hmm. and then they were like okay and now we'll insert another dc character into the universe and then they're like a little while later we'll insert some other characters into the universe and so they're growing it from the beginning which doesn't really work because then there's questions about like, wait, so what about all of these events that happened and all of these things? Like who's, who's doing that? Where did that come from? Like, why didn't we know about these people before? Like it it just doesn't work. And the same thing goes for like the, the DC movies is they kind of like, they set up partially that the universe exists, but they don't explain it really. They don't, they make it so that it, it has to be different and explained in, in different ways. Like the way Batman versus Superman set up that Batman and Superman are like the only superheroes, but they're keeping a track of like these three others or four others with Aquaman, Wonder Woman and, and, and Flash and uh, Cyborg. And then That's... you have to give them origins and it just doesn't work. That's what worked so well about Marvel what they did was a really smart choice, making Captain America the first one so far back that it's like they've had superheroes since World War II. He was the first one, and there have been people like him since then. So yeah. like it it's it gives them so much time to like and within their universe set it up really well. Yeah, and 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 that's what um both Black Lightning and Stargirl kind of do that too, where it's like in, in Black Lightning, they kind of set up that Black Lightning used to roam the streets as a superhero and then disappeared. 
for a long mm-hmm. time and then he just he comes back and that's what's happening and it, in Stargirl, they set up that like 10 years ago the justice society of america was a that. thing and and like they have the whole group fighting this battle between like six villains and then like they all die and so that's like the setup for like that and then they cut to 10 years in the future but like they set up that the entire universe exists already like they have solomon grundy as a character I mean, solomon grundy is also an arrow isn't he i don't think so is he no i i think i think he is because i had this discussion with annabeth because annabeth i think also started watching that show and i was like but he was an arrow and he is in the second season i looked it up because they're testing that like serum and then he's like a mishap when they were making it okay but that's a very different solomon grundy yeah let me let me show you but it it's within the same universe right it, those are connected they're right? in the same universe yes so they've done the same character twice in the same universe, but differently? How does that work? Yeah, that's not a... I like the one in Arrow much better. He's just a human. This is very much more comic accurate. Oh, the one in... Uh, he looked, like, messed up in, in Arrow, too. Not at first, like, he, he gets messed up as it goes along. I mean, I looked up an image of the Arrow version. Um, he just looks like a dude. That's the arrow one. I mean, Solomon Grundy in the comics often does look like just like a pale big guy. He's a huge, he's like a giant rotting zombie. He's not always rotting though. In the Sometimes he just looks like albino Hulk. Yeah, sometimes. But he usually has like sometimes he has Frankenstein monster style like pegs out of his head. He's a he's a weird character, but like I don't know. I felt like it was it was kind of assuming the universe and not a, like not requiring it to be grounded in like reality. The thing about it is like they they definitely have bad CGI on that show. Like the effects on that show are terrible. So like. Yeah, he doesn't look good, but like the idea that of him that they've created is better in my opinion than Arrow. Oh, I've looked him up now. I couldn't see very clearly from the image that you showed me over your phone. This does look better than I thought it did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, their character design is terrible in that show. Don't get don't like don't get me wrong. They have Sportsmaster Tigress and and Solomon Grundy and um a magician. I don't remember what magician. They're um, really running low. They're choosing like these B grade people at this point, I think. They show um Jay Garrick's helmet during that fight scene, but like no Jay Garrick, just his helmet. And he's the best part of those comics. Yeah, yeah. They have um Wildcat. Oh, and no. all of those characters die in the first five minutes. These are like the ones that they'd have in like an animated show once they've used all the good villains for the season and they, they're not quite to the finale yet. These are like for the filler episodes. Well, but like I like Solomon Grundy and Sportsmaster and Tigress. Those are good characters. I don't like Sportsmaster and Tigress. 
I think they did. Well, like, um, is it Young Justice that they uh, did a really good arc with them teaming up with Black Manta and Lex Luthor? That's a really good uh, arc. I don't know. Did you watch Young Justice? No. You should. It's a good show. But, yeah. I feel like Sportsmaster is just a weird idea for a villain. Well, like, um, Sportsmaster is... In at least in Young Justice, Sportsmaster is um, uh, what is her name? Uh, Artemis. Sportsmaster is Artemis's father in yeah. Uh, at least oh, some really? of the comics, yeah. That makes sense. And and Tigress is is her stepsister. In Stargirl, yeah. though, in Stargirl, I think they're a couple, which is weird. Um, but yeah, hopefully both don't apply in Stargirl. I don't know. I didn't watch more than fifteen minutes because they got to like a part where they're they move to like a small town and then they're walking around in the small town, and the dad is like being all like, "Oh, you guys just uh, do too much city dwelling, uh, do uh, friendly people," and. <laughs> It's really stupid because like people will just be like, hi. And like everyone they pass is going, hi, 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 hello. You know, and they're all like, why are they talking to us? What's going on? It's like, okay, that's when I quit watching. I was like, this is not funny. Like, I, it's stupid. This reminds me of something that I talked to Daniel about recently. I watched a short film directed by uh, Olivia Wilde, who did Booksmart. Yeah. Um, And... It's a short film called Wake Up. It was so bad. It has Margaret Qualley in it. Uh, I was like, ooh, I liked her in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She was good. Um, I'll watch this. It was essentially just an ad for HP. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) A Booksmart had a lot of HP computers in it too, didn't it? Maybe... Olivia Wilde is just infiltrating Hollywood for HP. <laughs> um, I haven't seen Booksmart. I don't know. I can't comment on the quality. Of I haven't Daniel either, but like I feel like I remember in the trailers being like, wow, that is a lot of product placement. Um, so <laughs> I watched it and it was so stupid. It was just like a lot of like dancing around and stuff, and um, no, it's a it's a Dell computer. Sorry. And basically, the whole like quote unquote message of it is like we spend too much time on our screens. We've got to wake up. We've got to like remember who we are. Oh, how original! Um, so original. Yeah, mm, I bet nobody's ever done that like, before. It's like just pandering to middle aged people, really. Um, and then the weird thing about it is that the entire product the short film is funded by hp on hp's channel (laughs) with hp's logo beforehand and then at the end they're like hp it's like hp is a technology company what is how hypocritical is this they're just like don't use technology, but if you do, use ours. <laughs> when was it made? I think it was last year. 
Oh, okay. I was going to say maybe that was under... It might have come out this year. I think it came out... It would have been, like, early this year. Um, here, I'll look it up. Wake I was going to say maybe that while. was made under um, under uh, Carly Fiorina because she was um, <laughs> CEO of HP for a while, and they had terrible <laughs> marketing campaigns under her. Okay. It came out January 24th, 2020. Oh, wow. Gee whiz. <laughs> <laughs> it was just... That's a, also a terrible uh, message to have at the beginning of 2020 because now <laughs> everyone's like trying to connect through phones. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it was really dumb. There were some really good reviews for it on Letterboxd. It was really funny watching people talk about it because everyone hated it. They're like, this is so stupid. Um, so if you ever have any time, just go through, read some of those. Um, and actually I'll find a few choice ones myself. What was it called? Wake up. Oh yeah. That's why that song stuck in my head. Sorry. Um, it says just when you thought you've seen enough boomer art about how everyone is on a screen, here come the talents of Olivia Wilde, Margaret Qualley and Matthew Libatique. That, that was the cinematographer. The yeah. cinematography was amazing. Really good to say the same thing. Um, <laughs> technology is bad. Said the laptop. company. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm reading them too. In our brave future, expression and rebellion are commodified. Nothing can be allowed to escape the marketplace. An anthem of corporate whoredom. Someone says, if 10 minutes can be this insufferable, imagine book smart. <laughs> I really didn't want to see book smart. Like I, the reason I haven't seen it is I just didn't want to, cause I thought the trailers looked terrible, but someone told me it was pretty good. This, this one for half star says, does this demonstrate the theory of relativity? I can sit through the Irishman. No problem. But three minutes into this 10 minute short, I'm peeling my skin off my face. <laughs> a short film with a message about how technology is bad brought to you by a technology company yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> nice dot 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 ad <laughs> that seems really odd just like the timing of it and like it's, just, it's a very odd thing for HP to sponsor. Yeah, it was. If you watch it, it's just it feels really weird because it does a lot of that stuff that lots of commercials do, like especially like car commercials, where it'll just give you like visuals that aren't related to anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like dancing and stuff. They'll be like, "This person's dancing because they love our product." Um, but like, it's just dancing for no reason. I guess what they're trying to say in this is like, oh, when you're not distracted by your phone, you can dance, <laughs> which is such a weird surface level point to make. It's like, yeah. no, we know there are things you can do. <laughs> Did you ever see Birds of Prey? No. 
Okay, that movie has a weird moment where there's a there's a musical dance number and it kind of hits you off guard. It like it just happens. And I don't understand why. It was very interesting. Like I think it it fit with the movie, but also it was very distracting where it was like, why did this happen? And that movie's like a, just an entire movie of why did this happen? But I like it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's very strange. That movie also has huge product placement for BlackBerry. I that's so weird. Everyone in Gotham uses a BlackBerry phone. Whoa, that's how you can. T- that's the least realistic thing about it. It's, it's very <laughs> weird. It's very weird. Everyone's on a BlackBerry phone, and the same one with a keyboard. Like everyone has a physical keyboard oh, on so their phone, strange. and it's so distracting. Speaking of dance numbers and movies. I watched Boy the other day, the Taika Waititi film. Oh yeah, it's that on my movie list. has some great Michael Jackson dance numbers in it, done by Taika Waititi, dressed up like Michael Jackson as this kid's dad. It's watch it. It was great. Oh yeah, it's been on my list for a while. I don't know where it is. Do I have to rent it? Okay, no. What I did is it's on Amazon, but under a channel. But the, you can get the channel for like a trial. Okay. Is it on like stars or something? Um, I f- it was either like um, Fandor or um, um, Movie Sphere. Because those are the two that I've gotten trials for. Because I've been, just been trying to get things from those channels before I end my Amazon subscription. It's just playing. Oh weird i don't have either of those but it's just going straight in it might just yeah, be you on, can Prime. Watch it on there for free um i don't think it was i was pretty sure it was a fan or thing because i don't have any other subscriptions on prime it's just huh maybe yeah, weird well you can watch it on there for free so well cool. not for free you're paying for amazon but <laughs> oh no it is with fandor weird I don't know why I just started playing because I don't have that. But well, you get the free trial. So when you start it, you start the free trial, which is like a week, and then you can then yeah, it charges I, you. I it didn't ask me if I want to start a trial, so I don't know what's going on. Anyway, weird. Weird. Yeah, that was. I think I gave it five stars. I liked it a lot. Taika Waititi is one of the funniest people in movies. I absolutely love him. His, his directorial style and his acting style and his writing style are all fantastic. I also watched uh, one of his short films the other day. I'd already seen the one that got nominated for the Oscar that like launched his career. Um, like Eagle versus Shark or whatever? No, that that's not a short film. That's, a, that's his debut. Yeah, that's his uh, feature. Full length. No, I was saying his um, short film that launched his career. That was Oscar nominated. That video of him pretending to be asleep at the Oscars, um, that's from when he got nominated for Two Cars One Night. Okay, yeah. So I'd already seen that one, which wasn't as good as I thought it would be, but it was, it was pretty good. Um, but I watched his other one, Tama 2. That was, I, w- I wasn't sure where it was going at first, because I was like, this doesn't feel like his directorial voice at all. But then it really worked out. 
think someone knocked on the door. I'm not sure though. Yes? I don't know. All right. I guess we can end. Yeah, we're we're at like an hour twenty, so if, if we're done we can stop here. All right. So long. Bye people. Goodbye, people. Thank you for listening.